It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Here we are back together after the holiday hiatus. It's good to have you with us if you're checking this out with uh, the visual medium. Great to see you. If you're podcasting or listening on a SiriusXM platform, great to talk to you. Uh, it is uh, a good day for us as we will visit with sports executive and former Ivy League champion and uh, television broadcaster Megan Perry in just a little bit. Uh, we will get to a really cool program uh, at Fisk doing some great things in a sport that maybe most HBCUs don't get highlighted in. We'll, we'll tease you with that and get to the specifics a little later. Uh, but right now we want to start off with what happens on this week in the National Football League. And I mean, teams weren't messing around. Some people yeah. got fired in the air, Kirk. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it was, there yeah. was no joke coming down. Um, and listen, this happens in every sport. At the end of every right. season, expectations are not met. It just feels more ruthless in the NFL. Like, cats don't get the standard two, right. three years to try to put their imprint in. And that's probably not even enough uh, for a baseball manager or a head coach in baseball or hockey or any other major sport, uh, soccer and otherwise. Uh, but the NFL, man, sometimes it's, it's one season and nope. That didn't work out. Uh, your your view of the the first line of 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 cutting, and then we'll get into the specifics of of some thoughts our our friend Stephen A. Smith has on a certain franchise and how they're dealing with black head coaches. Yeah, uh, you mentioned it, man. It's um, it's always hard, um, and and it's crazy because it's called Black Monday, <laughs> right? The day after the NFL season, Black Monday is when oh, it's always got to be black. Why is it's it always got to be black? <laughs> That's the first thing I said. Like, why got to be Black Monday? But yeah, uh, uh, you know, Coach was relieved. Uh, Lovey Smith relieved of his duties as the head coach um, of the Houston Texans, second year in a row that they've released a head coach. But more importantly for us, it's uh, the second black coach in a row. Uh, right. Previous year was David Cully, who was the head coach, and uh, he was fired. And to me, you felt like, okay, the Texans are doing the right thing in terms of hiring minority black head coaches, but only giving them one year to go out in a situation that was just, uh, you you can't win with that. That's a, that's a growing sentiment around the National Football League. I mean, David Cully was the head coach prior to, uh, to this season. But remember, he was the head coach, but he didn't have Deshaun Watson. Remember, Deshaun Watson was uh, on the team, but yet not able, to, was not going to take the field. And so you tell me what coach is going to succeed when their best player was not going to be. And obviously, Deshaun Watson had some other things going on. I don't need to you know, divulge into his off the field uh, things that were going on. But you leave my quarterback alone. Yeah, pretty much. I'm trying to. Yeah. I'm trying to. But he, he wasn't <laughs> that's, that's available. Both of us, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he Lord. wasn't available in Houston. And so yeah. he was fired. And then he wasn't available. Then 
you know, obviously Lovey Smith takes over the job. This roster, this roster wasn't as talented. They traded away guys. It was just a lot. And so after a year, both these guys have been fired. And this is tough because you're you're putting these men in a position to lead and to look their players in the eye and say, hey, this is what I want you to do. And players are going to follow. But then the organization goes a different route and fires them. There's no belief now in the organization to me. Because if you could easily fire guys who are doing their best and doing their job and not have the time to implement who they are, it's just not fair, man. It's not right. It isn't right. And, and, and people are looking at the Texans like that now. This is a team that needs to get their act together. So now as we look at everything, and there are the series of openings available, and a bunch of coordinators were relieved as well, and so correct, uh, it's going to be an interesting group of candidates. I'll run the list in a second because Stephen A. Smith and ESPN made it clear that if you are up and coming, if it is your time, if you are a retread, whatever it is, if you're black, <laughs> do not take the job in Houston. There's a problem. The Houston Texans organization, I'm going to say something loud and clear over the national airwaves, and I don't give a damn what anybody thinks. African-Americans need not apply. This is not an organization that has been fair to African-Americans as far as I'm concerned. How in God's name does Nick Cazario still have his job is beyond me. You are a GM. You just got there. And this is going to be, you're going into your fourth head coach on opening day. Clearly, you don't know what you're doing. The Houston Texans hired Lovey Smith because they were under immense pressure to go in a different direction because they wanted to hire former 12-year veteran Josh McCown. Josh McCown, no shade on him. Ladies and gentlemen, the only coaching experience he had was a volunteer assistant at a high school. And that's who they wanted to bring in as the head coach of the Houston Texans before the national media and local raised holy hell. And as a fallback, you went to the black dude who you clearly had no intentions of keeping. You just wanted them to band-aid the issue for the moment to buy you some time before you did what you wanted to do. The Houston, Texas organization are an atrocity. They are an embarrassment. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're an African-American and you aspire to be a, a head coach in the National Football League, there's 31 teams you should, you should hope for. You should hope beyond God that the Houston Texans never call you. Not as long as that man is in there. Because it's an embarrassment and something needs to be said about it. That being said from Stephen A., um, it echoes what you were alluding to. But how tough is that as a coach looking for that first chair, yeah. first time or third time to not take the gig when there's only 32 of them? Yeah, you said it, man. There's only 32 jobs in the whole world uh, as far as head coach in the NFL. It's tough because guys have worked so hard to get to that point. You know, David Cully, I mentioned a little bit earlier, David Cully finally got an opportunity and yet was thrown away after a year. Right. Levy Smith's been a head coach a couple different spots. Players play hard for him. He's a good dude, but yet wasn't able to have the time to go out and be the coach. Now, was this always part of the plan? Was this always part of the process for the Houston Texans? I don't know, but it just doesn't look good. And yeah. I, I'm, well, it feels I'm, rudderless too. Like it, it, regardless of who gets 
that job. It, it obviously has its connection to black coaches. Right. Man, they are, like, where do you grow? Where do you grow as an organization if you're a player looking at it or even a candidate looking from the outside in? Yeah, it's it's, it's difficult, man. It really is. And so I um, I look at the way that these two black head coaches have been been fired, sent off. But then I, I uh, get my flowers and my bouquets for a guy who has withheld so much and <laughs> who has done a tremendous job. And I feel like it's not highlighted enough. People don't right. understand how hard it is to win in the National Football League. But this past week, Mike Tomlin, mm-hmm. head coach Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers, secured his, uh, I believe, his 16th seasons now in a row. Mm-hmm. non-losing seasons that makes that every year since he's been a coach with the pittsburgh steelers he has not endured a losing season that is difficult right. that is <laughs> people don't understand how hard that aspect of it is but yeah. he is a strong leader he's one of the leading black head coaches in any sport and it may get glossed over from others but it won't get glossed over on this program and for me no. And this is what you would hope that teams have the patience and the understanding, sort of like the Steelers organization, that you may not win a championship every year. You may not have a winning record every year, but if you got good people in place and the program is going in the right direction, that's all you can ask for. So I'm going to give my kudos, tip of the cap to to Mike Tomlin, uh, one of the black head coaches in this league on another successful season. Now, we're going to get people all upset that are listening and they'll say, oh, come on, guys, let's talk about the, the best top hire. Um, I don't think I ever have to advocate for coaches that tend to get opportunities regularly. I just I, I mean, they're, they're going to either get coordinator jobs or another head coaching job. I just find it's just really hard for black coaches, specifically coaches of color to get that spot. So I, I always like to cheerlead for somebody that people aren't thinking about. And, and let's do that. Now Carolina's open. Mm-hmm. The Colts job is open. Uh, you got the Broncos job, obviously the Houston Texans job. And uh, now the Cardinals, yeah, and I want you to give me a name, mm-hmm. give me a name of somebody that deserves this next step that has not gotten it yet. Oh, I, I, I'll pause first because I think the Panthers job and they'll they'll do a good job in terms of interviewing other players, I mean, other coaches. But that job should go to Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes mm-hmm. took over a, a team, a ship that was sinking and was taking on water. Mm-hmm. He kept that thing up. I mean, they traded away their best player in Christian McCaffrey. I mean, they had quarterback scenarios up. It was just crazy. They trade Baker Mayfield and he released him. Steve Wilkes had that team playing its best football after they fired Matt rule earlier in the year and Jack's, they were literally one game away from making the playoffs. They beat uh, in week 17, they beat Tom Brady. They got a chance, but obviously Tom Brady is Teflon Tom. Hey, I get it. (laughs) But Steve Wilkes, who's been a head coach in this league, similar to Cully and also Lovey Smith. He was fired after one year in Arizona, but I think that he's the, best fit for what's going on in Carolina. He's a Carolina guy. He understands it. It'd be great for him. So I want to put him there. Now, as far as for the next coming up, I I would love to see 
uh, Coach Flores come back, mm. right? Remember we were with the Miami Dolphins for a while, I All mean, right. for a couple years, but we haven't. He was a linebacker's coach in uh, Pittsburgh last year, but mm-hmm. I, I want to see him, you know, come back. I want to see a um, couple other general manager candidates as well. Ron Carthon mm-hmm. is a general manager candidate with the San Francisco 49ers, but he, he's going to have his opportunity. Adrian Wilson, another former player. There's going to be more diversity, I think, this year in some of these hires. And I think the success of another tip of the cap to Brad Holmes African-American general manager with the Detroit Lions. Look what the Detroit Lions did. So I'm happy for the successes and the opportunities that have been given. And I hope this cycle of coaches and general managers will reflect that as well. Looking forward to the process and seeing who will be the hot names and find their way into positions that hopefully they're supported and time is allowed to, to build their program, their system, get new players in place. Right. Obviously, to elevate uh, those teams. Let's take a quick break. Going to talk with a uh, sports executive and broadcaster who will share with us her path uh, that has led her to a place to be able to truly advocate for women's sports. Her name's Megan Perry. She'll be with us next on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Thanks for staying with us and rolling along here on Forward Progress. It's great to welcome in our guest and our friend, Megan Perry, who is a former Division I baller. Let's talk. Let's start there, all right? Uh, a turned sports executive broadcaster and has been kind enough to swing by to share uh, the many great uh, moments along her journey and path that uh, are fantastic and really align with a lot of the stuff we talk about uh, here on Forward Progress. So, Megan, first of all, welcome. And I want full disclosure for everybody <laughs> that you uh, uh, you are one of the family members of, of the Miami Heat presentation. Uh, we recently called on Megan. Uh, one of our colleagues uh, had a death in the family, and Megan was kind enough to step in and, and serve in our studio analyst role, and we didn't miss a beat. And I, I personally appreciate the fact that you were willing to step in that space and be so helpful. So let me say publicly, thank you. Oh, well, that, that is the kindest thing and the best introduction I think you could ever ask for. So really appreciate that. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to be able to stay on part of the family. Um, so, you know, let's get the party started. No doubt. No doubt. Now, listen, let's start off with this. Uh, you spent some time in, in the NBA, uh, in the league office, in the yeah. infamous, uh, as we say it, uh, because I actually... Under the umbrella of the marketing division in the Miami Heat. And so I I like to come out of my on-air broadcaster bubble every now and then and act like I'm a part of everything. Uh And so (laughs) we've just emerged from the return of the annual uh, NBA sales and marketing meetings, which are always held uh, right here in paradise. Uh, They they summoned me out of uh, the city beautiful over to Miami Beach. Uh, to hang out at the Fountain Blue for a session on the globalization <laughs> of sports. Ooh. And it was such a, I mean, the discussion was so high level because there's a lot of stuff NBA teams can't do that right. that football teams can do in Europe. And so this oh, was yeah. a Man City discussion. And they bought up a dozen football clubs around the world. And so yeah. that was making everybody's head explode. But I do want you to take us inside that aspect of the NBA. We talk about the NBA and their initiatives a lot on yep. this program, but you intimately know all about team marketing and, and business operations. And we're probably 
in the league during a time where everything was exploding, including diversity and inclusion, as the W was entrenching and G League was transitioning mm-hmm. uh, from the development league, all these things were going on. I imagine while you were in the league office. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let me just start by saying I'm a basketball nerd. <laughs> For those that, that don't know me, and I'm a nerd at best. I mean, and I, when I graduated, graduated from Cornell University and had the opportunity to step into the league office, that was my first job out of school, awesome. and, I, and I spent eight years at the league office. But what was just so cool and so special about it is the first three years I was a part of team marketing and the business operations teams called Teambo for short. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's so funny you say sales and marketing because I have clear memories uh, of helping run and manage our sales and marketing meetings, which are some of, I think, the industry's leading meetings. They talk about innovation, not just in basketball, but across the sports landscape, and then how to apply that to basketball, which I always find for the other nerds that are like me, uh, Mm -hmm. really, really interesting. But, But I'll say in my basketball journey, to have an opportunity to learn from and work with some of the top minds um, yeah. across sports, but specifically, you're, I mean, you're talking about team presidents, right? Marketing leagues for the top professional leagues in the world and being able to right. understand how they think about business, um, to, how to, to understand kind of what their priorities are, uh, what works, what doesn't. You couldn't ask for better groundwork um, for my entryway into the sports marketing and management space early on. So um, it was a great time. I spent three years there. Chris Granger, Amy Brooks, some of the names you might know um, as a part of the NBA family working with that team. And then at what point you mentioned just the uh, the entry, right? And that entry in, in which you're watching everybody and you're learning. At what point did you yeah. say, okay, what avenue or which way do I want to go? Because everyone's yeah. doing certain things and you're like, okay, I'll, I want to do this. Maybe I can help out and be in this aspect of it. Sure, sure. Well, the first year I got exposed to the importance of ticketing, getting butts in seats. So learning about the operations of ticketing. And, and Teambo is a really great space because you learn about every different all, all the different areas of the business um, yeah. from, from one vantage point. And it's cool. So the ticketing space, I ran this like ticketing competition. So corresponding with all the ticket sale directors. We're talking about for the NBA, for the WNBA. And at the time it was called the D League, but now the G League. Um, and understanding, yeah. yeah, like best practices across those landscapes, right? And I was kind of like, this is interesting, but this is not really me. I learned about sponsorship as well. Interesting to understand kind of how deals are made, how partnerships are formed. And But I kind of went, that's not quite the game. I grew up playing basketball. I played college basketball, won an Ivy League championship and wanted to always just be around the game. And I spent many days, um, you know, at, in the league office, in my cubicle at the time and kind of went, but where's the game? Like I wasn't talking to the players. I wasn't talking to the coaches. Um, there was no strategy and in, in basketball strategy and what I was doing day to day. And about three years in, I got the opportunity to transition to another department over to the WNBA side. So um, after three years, I moved to the WNBA president's office, which was a really interesting time for me. Um, at the time that I moved over there, Donna Arinder was the president and she had stepped down um, and they were in the process of naming a new president. Her name was Laurel Ritchie. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I'm I also worked underneath uh, Renee Brown, who is the chief, who was the chief of basketball operations and player relations. And I say that because Renee Brown, Laurel Ritchie, and then um, to follow that, Lisa Borders was the president of the WNBA. Three black women 
literally mm. like at the helm, right, of the longest running professional women's sports league in the world. And I literally sat between their desks and there were so many basketball insights, but just life insights that I was able to, to garner from my time there um, and, and really, really loved it. So we could talk forever about what I did there. Happy to share more <laughs> of that. Um, but it was, it was a fun time. It was a great opportunity to be able to get closer to the game by moving to the WNBA side of the business. Sports executive and broadcaster Megan Perry with us here on Forward Progress. I do want to get deeper into that because in your time there, you were really a part of what was, I think, the real blowing up, the true blossoming of the relationship with ESPN, expanding that time, getting more run over on ABC on top of ESPN and ESPN2 and the family and networks, expanding the all-star game and the playoffs and the finals, and then Probably the most important thing of your time there, at least from my perspective, is elevating the player voice in Mm -hmm. the partnership of the business and the planning of the league. Talk to us about that journey. Yeah, well, when I joined the WNBA side of the business about, I think that was 2010, um, one of the major focuses, or I'll say my area of focus primarily, it was I oversaw a lot of our scouting and talent evaluation. I welcomed our, our rookies um, uh, and ran our rookie orientation, but then I also worked alongside closely with the Players Association. And so I had this understanding of there's business needs, and then there's this whole other life, right, that the athletes are going through. I really have a, a really strong respect for the athlete experience and trying to figure out, well, how do you optimize that? And part of my job was to figure out how do we make the voices and the issues that are mattering to these players heard and recognized, and how does that impact the business, right? There's so many decisions that are often made at a high level, quite quite frankly, by people that have no basketball experience. You don't have to be a player, but you you have to be engaged in some part of the game. And players were screaming about that, right? And so one of the things we did is we formed the WNBA Executive Committee um, in partnership with the Players Association, which is a group um, of players. We're now led by Neka Gumake, who is the president of the Players Association. Um, but we work to gather players to figure out what is important to you guys. At the time, we were talking about things like how to change the new uniform. Do we continue with Nike? Do we not continue with Nike? It might sound some, like something really small to the audience, but those are major business decisions that have huge mm-hmm. implications um, and how the WNBA players were being perceived based on just what the uniform presents, right? And having their voices heard about things like that, there wasn't a collective space for them to do that before. But out of that, out of that was grown, not just decisions about like, well, what do we do with the uniforms? But How do we react to moments in real time when the world has their eyes on us, when we're talking about, you know, what our voices should be a part of or not part of as it relates to politics and social engagement and not. And so that group is special to me, um, the executive committee, because it's really had a real impact in elevating athletes' voices across the sports landscape, you know, so it's been it's been good. It's been good. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that's what I wanted to lean on a little bit, because. You know, on this program, me and Jax, we've, you know, talked to so many people, especially when it mm-hmm. comes to the, the the social issues and being able to have that voice. But Megan, the WNBA was always in the in the beginning. They were always in the front. And it yeah. seemed like they when everybody else kind of moved cautiously and kind of worked their way into it. The WNBA from the beginning was like, this is who we are. This is what we're speaking up against. And I know you had one of those leading roles and, and voices and helping that out. But what what? For you, how did you say, you know what, this is some of the ways and this is the lead that we're going to take and we're not going to waver in what we feel we, is right? 
Um, That's a great question. I really appreciate that question because I think what people forget about the WNBA, it's like over 80%, right? African-American women. And it's not that necessarily they were like, well, we, we think the right thing to do is to go here versus here. A little bit of that is more of like, this is who they are. This is their story. These are their narratives. So it's not that you actually have a decision to make, just by virtue of who they are, the decisions already been made for them, right? To be a part of, to lift, to lift their voices up. They're being affected by these things off the court every single day, right? So the WNBA from its inception, I will also say, um, and this WNBA had a strong right now that I have on just because <laughs> it, it, it had to be, it had to have a space from its inception in which um, they had a, and they had to be able to connect with an audience at some point, right? And the niche audience that was in the very beginning of the league's development was very passionate about causes. Like we take this all the way back to before it was like, you know, social justice, it was about healthcare for women. And the WNBA saying, hey, listen, we want women to have equal access to healthcare. So we're gonna support breast health awareness and we're gonna wear pink ribbons. We're gonna do all that. A lot of people think that it, Obviously, the the audience with the NFL, they're able to support it, put a lot of more money behind it early on. But those little things started with the WNBA because they're issues that were important to their players. And they have been raised to to use their voice and to fight for what they need, <laughs> quite frankly. So it's just it's in them. It is in them. Megan Perry with us here on Forward Progress. Megan, what does it mean to you that there won't be and probably hasn't been now for a decade plus uh, a young, talented basketball player that's a woman that does not aspire to play in America, that that can look at that and say, this is my goal, that, yeah, I can go overseas and I can, there's plenty of money to do that, but that this is a viable way to make a living on top of making your dreams come true. I mean, I would say it's everything. I was that little girl. I was that little girl that when the league launched in 1997, I was sitting on my couch in my little family room going, oh, wow. Like, so you can, you can do this. You can continue this after college. Cause I only aspired to play college basketball until 97 when I realized there could be more. So it's everything to me. And I know it's everything to a lot of other young women who have aspirations to continue and should be able to continue to do what they love um, for an undefined amount of time. And you know, what's what's exciting is I've seen transitions of what we called them back in 2013. It was the big three. It was Skylar right. coming into the league, Elena Deladon, Brittany Griner at the time. Um, those were the big three draft picks. And the, the conversation was all about not only where are they going to land, but then in the offseason, what big contract were they going to get? Not domestically. It was about overseas. Mm. Who was going to win the contract? Was China? Was Turkey? Was Russia? Whatever it was. Where was that extra money coming from? Fast forward to today, a lot of things have transpired, transpired, and we all know very publicly the journey that Brittany's been on over the past 10, 12 months now. Um, I'm really excited to say that there are so many more opportunities for women to be able to stay and play and train off season so that they don't have to make those other decisions. The WNBA is a, is a year round opportunity. For young women. And that is, uh, that's exciting. That's exciting for the future of not just female basketball players. It should be exciting to everybody. Anyone that has a daughter, anyone that has, you know, an, an auntie, a sister, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's opportunity. There's opportunity there. So yeah, that that's what brings a smile to my face. 
You know, Megan, you mentioned Brittany Griner, and obviously, um, you know, what's taken place the last 10 to 12 months is something that I know we had never seen before. But for you and, and, and working in these league circles, how heavy did it weigh on you and some of those discussions, especially when moving forward, one of the brightest stars of the game is obviously not in this country, well, is, is away locked up in another country? Yeah, I think it's so hard. It was hard for me. I'll say my interactions, I haven't had the opportunity to to see and talk to Brittany for some years now, but um, early on in her career when she was transitioning from Baylor, right, to the WNBA, uh, spent a lot of time with Brittany, getting, getting to know her. And so I think of her just like other players. I think of them as people first, and it is really hard for me to to do otherwise. And so mm. when I woke up to the news and heard it, just as everyone else was hearing it and and, and getting information across social media, it didn't sit right with me. I knew something was really, I knew that it was a dire situation because I'd engage with athletes that go overseas all the time. It is the norm. It is like, it is like a, I want to say a second hustle, but it's like another job, right? You go to your second job, no one thinks twice about it, but to hear that she was being detained, it, it felt like my own family member. It didn't feel like, oh, it was just a basketball player. Like the warm kid, like, engaging, goofy, I mean, kindest could be, and oftentimes you may not believe it, but shy um, person that she, that she is like, that's who I was thinking about. Uh, I was not thinking about what other people have cast her to be. Like she is a gentle giant. And so it's just really hard. And as the days continue to go by, weighed heavier and heavier on my heart, just like others that, that care about or others across the, the women's basketball and the larger sports community. It's, it's hard to see someone that you saw smile is with so much light to have that dimmed. Um, and I'm just happy that she's been reunited and has an opportunity yeah. that that second chance that that's what brings me joy that she has a second chance. I know she'll do right by that second chance. Amen to that. Megan Perry spent time as uh, vice president of executive uh, engagement and women's yeah. initiatives for the Sports Innovation Lab. Tell us, first of all, about the Sports Innovation Lab, and then, if you would, elaborate upon the things that you're trying to impact there. Yeah, sure. Um, so the pandemic, you know, kind of slowed some things down, just like, you know, for everyone else. And I was trying to figure out what else could I do? And I took kind of a, a different path in that I've always been passionate about sports. I said I was a nerd, but understanding how data um, empowers fan engagement. is the, That's what the Sports Innovation Lab is all about. They want to understand how can they use the power of data to improve how sports fans are engaging across the landscape. Um, and my role there was specifically to focus in on women's sports. Um, and so I really enjoyed my time there engaging with executives across sports, media, entertainment, um, to formulate, I call them like pods, but they, they were networks of executives. And one of them was our women's sports executive network, which I managed. And we were really focused on, okay, well, how, what are we doing to drive investment across the women's sports landscape? And we had executives from the WNBA, the, the LPGA, the WWE, the NWSL. Um, and we were meeting on a monthly basis to talk about what are people doing uh, and what's working and, and why is it not working? And I mean, obviously, it's a passion point for me. I, I can I can get rowdy uh, with this conversation <laughs> for sure. Um, but I, th I think the bottom line is like there is a tremendous there's tremendous business potential that lies within the women's sports community. Um, and I think for a long time, and what the Sports Innovation Lab actually put on paper was we put together a report data data that shows 
um, the growth of the women's sports landscape over the past couple of years. And if you're part of the women's sports community, you've been feeling it grow. You can Mm -hmm. see there's more women present. There's NIL deals, there's commercials, there's engagement, (laughs) but the nerdy people out there want to measure that because when you can present data, you can change conversations, right? And corporations in boardrooms Uh, and being able to present some data to help change those conversations is really what I was focused on for about a year and a half to be able to say, well, we all know and feel there's some momentum behind this, but actually here's the numbers that show that when you invest your number, you invest your money in women's sports, um, the return on this investment is X, Y, Z. Um, because little things like fans of women's sports are engaging, but how it's been measured for years doesn't make any sense. Just because it's not necessarily the highest viewership, people want to talk about viewership for butts and seats. No, we're not competing with the NFL. No, we're not competing with the NBA. That's fine. And we're 26 plus years younger than a lot of the, a lot of those leagues. However, when you talk about engagement, what does that mean? Is that clicks? Is that is that butts and seats? Is that likes? And there is a there's a significant engagement um, across the women's sports landscape that is beyond the traditional ticket sales and viewership numbers that has not been quantified. And so we were trying to quantify that information to be able to to help change conversations and, and drive more investment. So if, I don't know if that was too nerdy. I may have just gone down a rabbit hole there. <laughs> <laughs> we we want to be lifted. We want to be lifted <laughs> like that. That's all right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Megan, no, (laughs) no, perfect, perfect. Because you kind of led into my last question. You mentioned the word that I love hearing, NIL, but I know you're also part of in in the podcast world as well. So when you're not talking executive work or administrative work, when you're talking about uh, some just just basketball in general, especially women's Mm -hmm. basketball, tell me I got to plug your podcast. So so want to plug the podcast as well, but then also too. Where is the women's game at now compared to maybe 10 or 15 years ago? When I turn on the TV, it looks a little bit different, more athletic, playing a little bit more above the rim, a little bit more. So just this is my eyes. I want to hear from your eyes or see from your eyes. I appreciate that. So the women's game is growing. And I think it's not a question of the product. It's not a question of. Um, is this something worth watching? I mean, look at the sidelines. Look at who's at the game. Steph was just at a Cal women's basketball game, I think, just earlier this week. It's not because someone was dragging him there to check it out. He wants to consume it. He understands, like, um, the product on the floor is worthy of of watching. And what I'm excited about is it's not that it is – I don't want to say it's it's better because they're they're starting to get above the rim. That part is cool. Women's mm-hmm. basketball players have been able to dunk for a long time now. So, right. but what I'm excited about is like the speed of the game. I'm excited about like how people are engaged in the storylines behind the players. Like people want to get to know who these women are because of what they're doing on the court. They're like, oh, that was dope. Like, like who's that again? Like Kelsey Plum, what are y'all, what are y'all up to? What's going on there out in Vegas? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the growth of the women's game and how it's continued to kind of like honestly innovate like stretching the three-point line you know making the shot clock a little bit lower speeding the game up those things have served it well so that I think it's a lot um, easier to watch just easier on the eye and the talent just speaks for itself it continues to be top-notch like I don't even know now I'm like oh like six foot five how much like I don't know if I could have competed back in the day like I'm over here (laughs) six feet and they put me in the post so I don't really know how I would, how I would do, <laughs> right, with, with the players today. Um, but it's it's been tremendous. I'm excited about it, and I want to pull as many people as possible into to get to know and, and get the exposure. Because I think once you 
once you come in, we always say, once you come in, you're, you're going to get stuff there. You're going to come back once you get a little taste. So, um, you know, I, I think it, I'm excited about the road. Megan, as my dear departed father, John Theodore Jackson would say, yeah. come back when you can stay longer. <laughs> ah, I love that. I love that. Well, listen, I'll, I'll take the open invitation and happy to come back and, and chat women's basketball, men's basketball, college basketball, whatever. I love to talk the game anytime. So thanks for having me. Thanks Don't dare us. Purnell will blow you up. That's what's oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I just put you in my calendar 2023 because I'm still building my calendar. So, you know, you uh, we'll slot you in. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for the time. Sports broadcaster and executive. Megan Perry with us here on Forward Progress. When we come back, you know we love to spotlight the historically black college and university sports, but we have a sport we haven't discussed yet. Gymnastics will be in the forefront for two aficionados like Kirk Morrison and Jason Jackson. When we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. As advertised, we shine the light on uh, a fantastic story surrounding uh, historically black college and university participation in a sport we tend not to get to when you talk about HBCUs, but Fisk University has a women's gymnastics program that's not even a year old, by the way, right? They said, this is a place where you want to compete give women of color, specifically black women, an opportunity to compete at the highest level in college athletics and gymnastics. And the Fisk University Bulldogs made their debut at uh, the Las Vegas Super 16 Invitational. Now, I don't know a lot (laughs) until I see like conference championships and national championships, but that sounds like a big deal. All right. And that started, uh, that was as we record in the middle of the week, this week that was about a week ago about a week ago yeah and uh, we're able to show out against powerhouse rosters of collegiate teams uh i know you love this story man like take us deeper here no i i do love this story because uh one of the women uh athletes on the fist uh, gymnastics team uh is a family friend so how this that? yeah how crazy is that this is gonna this be a also- part of this this very first historical moment uh, as uh, black college and universities have not competed in gymnastics at the NCAA level. So this is all brand new. And yeah. so me as a guy, you know, who loves sports and, uh, and love, you know, these stories, I had a chance to sit down and talk with her while we're all on vacation because, um, you know, we're friends with her parents. And so this was actually her graduation trip. So she tagged mm. along, uh, with all of the couples and everything on a graduation trip. And it was fun because she was just, she was so excited to talk about, going to college to, you know, to compete in gymnastics where she actually had a scholarship somewhere else. She had another scholarship that was available to her and okay. actually accepted the scholarship and said, you know what, I, I'm going to go compete in gymnastics over here. And then all of a sudden it was this opportunity at Fisk to be able to not only have a scholarship, but the funding that was there to start this program. And I believe they are one of only uh, less than it's only less than 10. I mean, I think gymnastics programs in HBCUs. So this Mm. was an opportunity for her and the team that was being built to go out and do something that we haven't even thought about on the HBCU level. We think about other sports, but when do you think about gymnastics? 
And so she said she took it upon herself and uh, a lot of the girls who were coming together and said, this is pretty unique. And she decided to go to Fisk University. She said, never been to Nashville, never understood, you know, it just, but I was excited for her because of the Nashville base. Uh, first of all, being able to go to a, one of the outstanding HBCUs sure. no, absolutely. in Fisk University, mm-hmm. but then also being in that roundabout of Vanderbilt University, right? Meharry Medical College as well. Like there's a lot of other students and student athletes that be around there that you can draw on and meet and have long lasting uh, friendships and relationships. And then, oh, you get to compete in a first time uh, gymnastics program at Fisk. So they've actually been on, I believe the Ellen DeGeneres show, the uh, Jennifer Hudson show. They've been Doing the media rounds, and you mentioned they had the big meet last week, and I know that uh, her parents were out there with her. So this has been exciting just seeing it from afar, but to now have a place for uh, – and, and I, w- I don't want to call it similar to Coach Prime and going to Jackson State for football, mm-hmm. but this is a different path and a different mm-hmm. avenue because when it comes to gymnastics, it's all about the meet, right? It's all about right. the, the the competitions, Right. And you don't necessarily have to play in a certain division. So I think this opens up the doors for a lot of young minority women to go out and be able to compete at one, an HBCU, but also you're going to compete nationally because of the way that the sport is kind of configured. Now remember, I said this was an invitation of 16 teams. Yes. And you had North Carolina there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Southern Utah, which is known in the gymnastics space, is having an excellent program. University of Washington. How about Fisk finished fourth? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. That's something else. Yeah. They, 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 First of all, talks a lot about the recruiting, correct. a lot about the caliber of athlete, and, and some sound coaching. It, it's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I've heard. Like, this is still foreign territory for them, but um, they've been wanting to compete. They finally got out there to compete. And excited to continue this process continue this journey and so like i said it's funny because you have someone close to you and and going there and so you know for her she says hey i'm excited now because (laughs) i'm gonna have so many different people who learn how to do my baby hairs when it comes to the hair so (laughs) that's how that's how deep we do it don't they They don't mess around hey man that's how deep the conversation went we were talking about just that and so it, it was funny that you know, that you get a chance to to have that opportunity to go to a place where you feel that, hey, this better suits me as a person, yeah. right? There's sometimes you can go to a university and you feel like, hey, I'm here because I have the opportunity to compete, but I don't know if it's best for who I am and what my makeup or where I come from. And this is a great opportunity. And for for her, I know she said, to be able to be a part of the HBCU experience that she's been wanting to and to see and be around it. So uh, I've been excited kind of following her and, and and their team, and I will continue throughout this gymnastics season. I love it. I love it. we got to get uh, Kareen Tarver on the show. That's the, the head yes. coach of the program. Yes. we got, we got to get Coach Tarver <laughs> on the show. She said uh, all of this. And by the way, this event was on ESPN. So there's, there's, right. you'll be watching some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. Coming up. Uh, Coach said it's humbling, something that's a long time coming. And so uh, I'm so proud to be able to bring the team to the floor. That is a historically black college and university. It's the first time ever. So we're ready to go. And coach was ready 
and uh, they brought it. They brought just it. Just one spot out of the medals, but it, mm-hmm. it what what a debut out of the blocks. As I noted, we were taping this uh, the Wednesday before uh, the King holiday, and so let us not walk out without some reverence. Uh, I've been honored enough now for almost a decade to be the host of NBA Radio Special for Dr. King, uh, and it surrounds the uh, the annual Martin Luther King day celebration game that's always in memphis and i'm very fortunate that uh, i'll be a part of the leadoff game for the nba on uh, on the king holiday in atlanta between the hawks and the heat and i'm excited excited to be a part of that and 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 not tooting my own horn Mm -hmm. uh because it was a lot of people working on it uh my most recent emmy award um yes we 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 call it your most recent right yes most recent so i mean you have many multiple uh it was it was it's number 23 of 24 <laughs> sir thank you right. for allowing me to note that uh but um we we won an enemy award last year for our mlk tribute which we traveled to uh atlanta mm-hmm. to dc and memphis to shoot right to walk through the life of dr king and we were really proud of that work and and we were nominated in 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 21 but didn't win and so we were so we so loved that work and telling the story about coming up as a Baptist preacher and, and wrapping your arms around the civil rights movement and putting your life and, and entire uh, career on the line. Yeah. And I should have said that backwards because obviously his life far more important, um, but he could have stayed a prominent yeah. preacher just every Sunday in the pulpit in Atlanta, but decided to travel this nation uh, in honor of uh, fairness and justice and, and liberty for for all people, uh, after starting off focused on on the black person's plight, and uh, it, it's just such a it's a staple, you know. And we're you know I'm old enough to remember when the fight started to get this holiday in place, mm-hmm. and uh, it's great to know that I'm the father of children that don't know anything other than a celebration of, of a man who dedicated his life to to our freedoms. No, I, you know what? I'm, I'm glad that you just said that last part because it's something that we continue to teach our kids. Yep. Um, I got the little ones and we got the, you know, the little picture books for them <laughs> to read and the best. And and they know, you know, because for them, why, why, why don't we have school Monday, dad? I said, well, you don't have school on Monday because of Martin Luther King observance for his birthday. And so you get to tell them why you don't have school on Monday, because we're honoring someone who was very influential to who we are as people, to who this country is and how we continue to grow. So I think that that's one thing that when I think about the holiday now, which before it's a great day, a holiday day off, you know what I mean? When you're when you're younger. But now as I'm teaching the younger generation, I have that it's, it's also my obligation to let them know why. And for what and where this country was and how this country is still growing. So mm-hmm. that's what the observance of Dr. Martin Luther King's holiday is all about. I encourage folks to hop on the SXM app and find uh, the times that which the show will be airing. I know it will uh, before all the games on uh, NBA radio on Monday, but I think some airings precede that. And then also right. later in the day on uh, Monday, January 16th. Uh, so just head to the SXM app, search MLK, and you'll be able to enjoy that. We thank Megan Perry for swinging by. We appreciate your patience as we uh, (laughs) were obligated to our holiday hiatus. And it's great to be back. For our producer, Brunel Brown, my partner, Kirk Morrison, I'm Jason Jackson. We'll talk to you next time on Forward Progress. 
Forward Progress is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.